BBOR, Black Box Online Radio, coming to you from West Virginia, Black Box Ned 88 on Instagram for the bonus podcast. And yes, doing the episode in a little bit of a different format today, because this week is going to be mostly devoted to the Long Island serial killer. If this is the first episode that you've ever listened to from this channel, Normally, every Monday is Zodiac Mondays, Wednesday is the AMA, that's the Ask Me Anything, where I respond to your questions and comments, and Friday is an Anything Goes, any subject is fair game. But this week is going to be devoted to the Long Island serial killer. However, on Wednesday, there will be something a little bit different. I was originally going to do five episodes, all on the Long Island serial killer, every single day of the business week, but Wednesday will be the release party for the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan. That book is going to be coming out on Amazon, and um, might as well celebrate or something like that. It's not every day that I put out a book. Definitely the first time I've ever put out a book. Yes, it's a novel, and I've been promoting it as I was inspired by the Zodiac Manson connection, and in 2020 I said numerous times that somebody needs to write that as a novel, and all of the um, place names are changed, and it's set on the East Coast, not in California, it's set during the contemporary times, not um, during the 1960s or 70s. But yes, I'll do a bigger announcement and talk more about the book, and once again, a novel, on Wednesday. Today I would like to focus on the Long Island serial killer, though, and also remind you guys that you can download this show for free at Launchpad One. That's the user-generated affiliate of Podcast One. There's a link to that in the description box. You can download the audio of this program as a pure podcast. Take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. The absolute best way to support the channel is just by listening to some more content. If you like what you hear, you can share with your friends and family, tell people about the true crime world, and all the things here on Black Box Online Radio. But mostly just... Have a listen to some more of the content, and Launchpad One is a great way to do that. Another good way to support the channel is by visiting the Teespring page. There are some t-shirts available, almost all sizes and colors are listed. And remember, being weird is not a crime. Numerous times over the last year, people have requested something about the Long Island serial killer. A serial killer whom I didn't know that much about. And there's a very big reason why, which I'll say throughout the duration of this recording. But I was actually communicating with Jack Cooper, who runs the Zodiac Killer channel here on YouTube, and he suggested it again. He's like, why don't you do something about the Long Island serial killer? I'm like, yeah, a lot of people requested that. But he's like, don't just do a single episode. Why don't you do a multi-part series on the Long Island serial killer? So welcome to part one. But I will say... If you are listening to this in the future, you're going, you can listen to any episode in that series in any order. I always want my episodes to exist as standalone um, features or part of an ongoing series. There are going to be at least four episodes on the Long Island Serial Killer on this channel. But um, as I said, every Monday is Zodiac Mondays. With the Zodiac Killer case, there's so many things like letters and ciphers and um, composite sketches... With the Long Island serial killer, there is so much less to go on, and I think that's a big reason why I didn't get more involved with the Long Island serial killer. If you had asked me what I knew about this case 
before washing any of the material, before reading anything after it had been recommended to me to do these episodes, I would have told you that the Long Island serial killer was somebody who targeted women, he murdered victims, and he disposed of their bodies, moved them to a dump site, the victims were placed in burlap sacks, and perhaps that's all I would have been able to say. I watched a couple episodes on the Long Island serial killer from shows like 48 Hours, maybe Dateline as well, I'm not even sure, because this was back in 2012 and 13. I used to watch serial killer documentaries all the time, and I would use them to fall asleep, and I don't do that now because I don't want to use true crime anything as a sleep aid, but back at the time I did. One of them I think was on Ed Gain or something, and they had this absolutely horrific recreation where the victim started screaming. I mean, it's a dramatic recreation, like an actor's portrayal. And like, I just heard all these screams going on. And then for once I was like, oh yeah, that's why you're not supposed to fall asleep with serial killer documentaries. Huh. Who'd have thunk it? But um, with the Long Island serial killer, I watched those things like Dateline 48 Hours. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what was going on. As I said, oh yeah, I get it. There's a serial killer out there who's targeting women and he is disposing of their bodies. But I couldn't quite follow the narrative because this is really the story of two cases that are intertwined. One of them is the Long Island serial killer and the other is the death of Shannon Gilbert. Maybe she was a victim of the LISK, L-I-S-K, Long Island serial killer, or maybe she wasn't, but it's because of her that we know so much about it. Before we get into any of these specifics, I would like to cite uh, that chapter, which is a channel that I haven't heard in, from in a while. I haven't watched that one on YouTube yet, but I did go through their video. Very informative for a 30-minute presentation. And what was great about that one, once one more time on the channel, that chapter is they cited so many things like press conferences from the detectives as well as the attorneys, 60 Minutes Australia, 48 Hours, and of course um, Wikipedia, CBS This Morning, as well as um, I found a news article from CBS News that was written by none other than Aaron Moriarty, who works with 48 Hours. So I would like to um, discuss some of the content available in these sources here. In addition, I would also like to cite Dr. Todd Grande's uh, channel, and we'll, we will talk a lot about him in the um, in later part of this episode. But first, to introduce the subject, a woman named Shannon Gilbert was working as an escort, and this was in New York State, Long Island, near the towns of Gilgo and Oak Beach. It's actually in Suffolk County, New York. Um, this is also new geography. For me, I'm a West Virginian. I've never been to Long Island, so I'm coming at this kind of as a total outsider. But Shannon Gilbert's working as an escort in this part of the state. She makes a panicked 911 call at 4.51 in the morning, where she is just in an absolute uh, state of fear, I think is the best way to describe it. There are even parts of the call that have been released verbally, like some transcriptions and quotations, when she says, someone is trying to kill me, they're coming after me. She's pounding on the doors of neighbors. The call goes on for 23 minutes, and the transcript of that call has been something that has not been made available to the general public. A lot of people are demanding it, but they know that Shannon is experiencing some distress. And then she disappears. This is all on May 2nd of 2010. 
So then there is a very large search that is made for Shannon Gilbert. And through that search, they uncovered a serial killer graveyard where on Gilgo Beach they found the bodies of four women. And um, most sources state that all of them had been placed into burlap sacks and buried. But when I was watching the channel, um, the channel, that chapter, they said that at least two of the victims had been buried in burlap sacks, meaning that um, apparently it's not completely certain that all four of them were. So says that one source. Every other source states that all four of the other women, who will become known as the Gilgo Four, were buried in burlap sacks. Some other points that Dr. Todd Grande shared in his video is that one of the victims had a missing foot. Another victim had a tattoo that had been mutilated. And already, I'm sure you are already begin to hypothesize and theorize about the activities of a serial killer like that. Someone who is not only committing murders, but making the efforts to move the bodies, relocate them, and placing them into burlap would have um, affected decomposition in a certain way. The person was trying to destroy anything that could be traced back to the victims, creating some time for in between when they're put in the ground and when they are discovered that anything would be identifying would be more difficult to be traced back. As well as Dr. Todd Grande also theorized that that foot had been cut off because someone either had a tattoo or something that was very significant that um, could have connected them to the killer. So a very methodical individual who is involved with those crimes. And then later on, as they continued to search the area, they located the bodies of at least five more victims. And right now I'd like to read off the names of some of the victims here. Amber Lynn Costello, Melissa Bartolome, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Megan Waterman, an unidentified Asian male, Jessica Taylor, a Jane Doe, and a female toddler who was accompanied by the Jane Doe. Um, and um, most people only can hypothesize, but they think that she brought um, her toddler with her to uh, some type of appointment, and then the killer went after both of them. The Asian male, though, he was a cross-dresser. He, she, I'm not sure his preferred pronoun, but that is the only way that I would like to um, describe his activities. And a big commonality among all of these people were particularly the Gilgo Four. Let's just begin there. They were sex workers. And this is one of the reasons why the Long Island serial killer is also known as the Gilgo Beach Killer, as well as the Craigslist Ripper. It was a com commonality among them. They were not only escorts, but they also used the internet to advertise their services. Shannon Gilbert was also an escort who used the internet to advertise her services. And I just have to share one thing with you guys about when I was first looking into this. I mean, the absolute first thing that I read was the Wikipedia page, and uh, John Lorden of the Lorden Arts Channel says that's a good way to, to just get the primer for the uh, true crime case. Start there, and then you can find out what are the other sources saying in contrast to that. But because this is the true crime world, I will not give any, like, like um, cliffhangers and any twists at the end. 
Shannon Gilbert's body was found about a year and a half after her disappearance, and she was found in the marshy area nearby, but not with the original four victims. And the victims were not buried together. They were all buried in separate graves. I think even if you look at certain um, kind of recreations of the Long Island serial killer case, for some, you might get the impression that they all the victims were buried together. For some reason, back in 2012, I thought that was the case with the original Gilgo 4. The first four victims were all buried in the same grave. They were not. The, these uh, graves were dug and located all separately. So that's something else to think about in terms of how the killer is operating. But yes, Shannon Gilbert's body was found not in a buried grave. She was found in the marshy area on Long Island. And the authorities um, are still up in the air about what is going on with that phone call. But they do not necessarily believe that she was a victim of the Long Island serial killer. But I would like to share one thing that, you know, you can just get easily online. One of the suspects in this case is a man named James Bissett, and I'll just read what they wrote about him. Two days after Shannon Gilbert's remains were found, businessman James Bissett took his own life while in his car at Mattituck Park. One of Bissett's businesses was a plant nursery, which was the main supplier of burlap in the region. And when I read that, I mean, my whole body just turned ice cold. I was like, you have murder victims found in burlap sacks. Two days after one of the victims is located, this guy commits suicide. Absolutely. My, I had ice water going through my veins for a second. Except for the fact that Shannon Gilbridge is not a confirmed victim of the Long Island serial killer. And I'm going to have a whole episode on her because, as I said, it's an, it's an intertwined case. And it appears that um, there are some very suspicious things going on with her story in general. Not to challenge her credibility... I mean, the authorities don't believe that Shannon Gilbert was a victim of the Long Island serial killer because they have the theory that she was running up and down, banging on people's doors, she's asking for help, no one is able to come to her assistance. So she wandered off into the marsh in unfamiliar territory, and she um, was so disoriented that she tripped or maybe became injured in some way, and she drowned. Her body was not discovered until more than a year later, so decomposition had definitely set in, and then I think that you can get the idea a lot of forensic material was no longer available. But one thing that that chapter did share, as I said, they had many press conferences, and they played a video of the attorney for the Gilbert family, who said very clearly that their independent coroner that they had hired, not from like the county or anything, the one that they had hired determined that it was most likely that Shannon had been strangled, so that would indicate some form of foul play. And they also said that certain bones appeared to be missing, but, I mean, if your body's out in a marshy area, of course, um, that doesn't seem to be um, too uh, shocking. I mean, out in the open for more than a year, there are numerous ways in which not all of the bones could be present and left behind, I think it's much more um, important to look that there could be genuine signs of foul play. When I was watching 60 Minutes Australia, though, they brought up the possibility of multiple killers, multiple assailants in the Long Island killer case, and even in the, the um, 
what they believe to be the murder of Shannon Gilbert, because if you remember what I said about the famous line that has been shared to the general public, someone is trying to kill me, they are coming after me, and 60 Minutes Australia put up a, a snippet on that. They usually use older news coverage to tie it all together, but she said, they are coming after me. Does that mean that there's more than one assailant? Does that mean that there's more than one person who is going after these women? And then she was just able to um, evade the Long Island serial killer, or two people, or three people. And that she did indeed wander into the marsh, and she died on as a result of something else. I'm not necessarily sure. And as I said, I'll do a full episode on the death of Shannon Gilbert, which will most likely be coming out tomorrow to anyone who's listening to these things daily. All right, though, so what else do we know about the Long Island serial killer? The first is that he seems to have an enormous amount of familiarity with the area, and some people are really debating this back and forth, and they're trying to say, like, oh, well, he has to be a Long Island native. But uh, somebody else, though, just in the comments section on CBS this morning said, I don't think that he's a Long Island native or that he lives in any of these communities. It all it seems rather that this would be somebody who is perhaps going there to fish regularly, and he's just like passing himself off as a fisherman, but he doesn't live in those communities because he's using it as a dump site. And... um He's not going to choose the one that is super close to his home. On the other hand, you have serial killers like John Wayne Gacy who have be, who have uh, the bodies of the victims buried in the crawl space. That can also happen. So there really is nothing consistent about that. Then another point, though, that was mentioned in... Um, I'm not even sure which uh, source cited this one or else I would um, give them credit for it. But they said, it appears that... The person committing these crimes is showing an enormous amount of crime scene awareness. And many people, in every single source, in every way that people can respond to this, they believe that it could be someone who is in law enforcement. But I really liked a lot of the comments that I read on CBS this morning, which featured an interview with Aaron Moriarty. And I know it perhaps isn't the most practical thing to read off the comments section on another channel, but because it was from a more studio-driven one like CBS this morning, let's look at some of these. Ron Reynolds writes, The more info you hear about this case, the more you will feel someone high up knows more about it. And one of the suspects was a um, higher up in law enforcement. And But here's um, something, though, that is from Restoration Work. There's probably way more bodies out there. I would like to jump over to the timeline of how the Long Island serial killer functioned. And let's look at the timeline of these disappearances. Because I think that person is completely correct. And the, one of the reasons why is because... Let's just look at the timeline of some of these activities. May 2nd, 2010. Shannon Gilbert makes the 911 call. June 6th, 2010, Megan Waterman was last seen. September 2nd, 2010, Amber Lynn Costello was last seen. December 2010, Maureen Brainard Barnes's remains are found. Okay, all of this stuff is happening in a very close amount of time. And the commonality um, is that these women were sex workers. They were escorts and they were using Craigslist. 
But look at these dates, May 2nd, June 6th, September 2nd, December 2010. This person is operating very frequently. And when this tends to happen, when this happens, it tends to show that this is a serial killer who is driven by sexual urges. Not someone who is necessarily driven by the cold, methodical, and calculating desire to commit crimes. Instead, this is somebody who is perhaps dealing with a lot of animosity toward women, but also is getting off on the actual killing. There is a type of sexual arousal that comes from not only dominating the victims, but also dominating to them, them to the point in which they can be murdered, and like they want to have that power over their uh, victims. And because many of them were sex workers, and many of them were female, as I said, other than the um, person who's listed as Asian male, this also shows a very strong animosity toward women, which I can only suggest was coming from a very deep hatred or resentment or lack of bonding with their this person's mother, whoever he or they are. Now, in terms of who's actually behind um, these crimes, I think that there's another detail we need to mention. Someone stole the phone of numerous victims, and they made phone calls to the family members bragging about what they had done or making taunting phone calls. So there are people who have actually heard the alleged killer's voice, even though we aren't 100%. Um, and this is also on the timeline. It was around July or August of 2009. Amanda Bartolome, the sister of Melissa Bartolome, receives a shocking and vulgar, mocking and insulting call from a man using Melissa Bartolome's cell phone. The caller eventually tells Amanda that her sister is dead. Are you noticing something about that? This person is targeting the families of the victims. They aren't calling in the media. They aren't trying to get the attention of investigators. They're getting off on the actual connections of committing the crime. They're getting off on that, their actual ability to have this power over the victims and the power over the families. And almost any time there is this type of um, behavior, well, I mean, it's sociopathy and psychopathy. It's when knowing that a person will be missed by other people is fueling the excitement of the serial killer, and it happens very clearly. I also wanted to um, get into some of the comments made by to Dr. Todd Grande because I watched his video, and he created a psychological profile for the Long Island serial killer. First, he started out with some very basic things, saying that he thought that the Long Island serial killer, if it is indeed one person, was Caucasian, male. I think he said uh, mid-20s to maybe 40, early 40s, but that's a very big range, and I don't even know if that's the, the most helpful range. But also, somebody who was mostly a loner, rejected by his peers, uh, did not do well with relationships in his youth, spent a lot of time in his youth alone. All people would mostly describe him as awkward, very polite, but perhaps known to have a mean streak from time to time. I'm paraphrasing all of this, by the way. And then he said something that I thought was quite different, because I did a direct response to Todd Grande's profile of the Zodiac Killer. I'm like, oh yeah, he's just saying this about any serial killer. You could say that about any type of serial killer. And I mean, firstly, talking about how somebody just spends a lot of time alone, didn't have a lot of friends as a kid, most people would describe them as awkward. It's like, do you ever just have those moments where like, hey, that's not a serial killer, that's me. Damn. But um, 
No, like he actually did say something that I thought was quite in contrast with his profile of the Zodiac Killer when he described the Zodiac as someone who would have had several arrests throughout his life, maybe for small things like shoplifting, but he would be very low in neuroticism but high in insecurity, meaning that he's not worrying a lot. But with the Long Island serial killer, he said, yeah, he's probably been arrested for small things like petty theft, and then the uh, deviant and illegal behavior just gets more and more intense to the point where it gets to murder. And from that point, he uh, said something that was different than the Zodiacs, when he's like, the Long Island serial killer would have been average in neuroticism. And I think that that is so true. If you're going to talk about worrying, is a serial killer worrying a lot? No, the Zodiac Killer is not going to be worrying at all. He's writing letters, taking credit for this. He's mailing them in to news stations, to um, newspapers, to detectives. He's mocking the reporters at the San Francisco Chronicle like Paul Lavery. The Long Island serial killer doesn't seem to be doing that. Instead, the Long Island serial killer is mocking the families of the victims. Average in neuroticism. He's going to push the boundaries, but he's still worried about certain things in, in relation to getting caught. So he's not going to push the boundaries in that extreme manner to the point when he wants the newspapers to be talking about him. If anything, the Long Island serial killer is going through an enormous amount of effort to hide the bodies of the victims so things will not be traced back to him. And it doesn't appear that it is exactly a... um exactly an attention-based set of serial murders. Instead, this person is definitely a thrill killer, but it's more about the sexual activity. It's not about getting his name in the paper, because for the bodies were buried in the ground, and despite these phone calls that have been made, it does not appear that this person is just begging for the fame of it all. And that's why we also have very little to go on, because someone's not exactly committing a crime in a downtown area of... um of the of the city and then they're moving on to um to just walking away and getting seen by witnesses they're do they're discarding the bodies in a very dark and um a very dark and unwatched area so that's another thing that's important to remember but i think it was also on uh, dr todd grande's channel when he said that the victims were uh, talking about the gilgo four now we're all four foot eleven with green eyes so it seems that the uh, Long Island serial killer has a type that he was targeting. And I think one of the clearest examples of this in serial killer um, literature would be none other than Ted Bundy, who was definitely involved with a very inappropriate relationship with his mother. But the reason why Ted Bundy targeted many of his victims, so says um, the sources that have been available, is because he was rejected by a female lover and... You can even see this recreated in some of the um, movies about Bundy when that um, actress is, uh, who is playing the ex-girlfriend is like, this victim looks like me. She also looks like me. They all look like me. Like, that person really also contributed to the animosity toward these types of um, victims because it's the traumatic experience in that person's mind, in the serial killer's mind, and also in 60 Minutes Australia, they put forward a really odd psychological characteristic that I think is somewhat mentioned in serial killer literature, but not super frequently, and that is that the person committing these crimes might actually think that he's doing a good thing. He has such a deep animosity and hatred and lack of respect for women, especially sex workers, that he thinks that he's either putting them out of their misery 
or removing them from society in his own twisted, demented, and absolutely disgusting mind. I'm, I want to be clear. This is bad. He is bad for doing this. He's bad for thinking this. But he might actually think that he's doing a good thing. He clearly is not. But also, they shared one theory that the person who discarded the bodies on Long Island was also probably not finding victims in Long Island. And I'll say a lot more about this in the Shannon Gilbert episode, but I think that it goes against her being a genuine victim of the Long Island serial killer, if that is true, because she was working in that community on Long Island, and she was able to run away. She definitely runs off into the marsh. And if we had the um, transcript of the 911 call, then maybe we would know more about that. But she runs away, and they're saying, they're saying this guy must be abducting women from New York City, and then he is perhaps murdering them at a different location. Then he's going back to Long Island, to Gilgo Beach, and that's where the bodies were buried. So I think that um, that is very, uh, very possible. I don't know 100%. This is an unsolved case, and as you can tell, I'm not an expert on the Long Island serial killer, but I am learning as I go. And if, there anything, if there's anything that you would like covered on the channel, you can put your ideas down in the comments section below. I would love to read your messages. But I would like to go back to those comments on CBS this morning. Michael Bagley writes, None of these families will ever get justice. If they catch the killer, they will not be surprised that the killer has been in one of their files for years. I mean, it's quite possible that the Long Island serial killer stopped killing because he went to jail for something else. But you heard that close cluster of activity. Someone, If someone's killing for sexual urges, he's probably operating very, very frequently. I don't think he would be operating now because the earliest possible Long Island serial killer victim on the timeline is back to 1996. And serial killers can operate for eight years, 12 years. Usually in the early 40s, there's a decline in testosterone as well as a decline in just overall ability to um, perform the task associated with being a serial killer. And they don't want to risk getting caught. So then they just decide, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to stop right now. But uh, sometimes serial killers do have a second swing. Brian Lowe writes, It was a cop from Suffolk PD. That's why it will never be solved. I told you guys there were a lot of these uh, comments out there. A lot of people think this is someone in law enforcement. High amount of crime scene awareness knows what the detectives are going to do. They would also have the ability to learn about locations in which sex workers would be easily available. But then, on the other hand, people think that it's not a cop. They think that this is some guy who's using Craigslist to um, attract these victims. And I should say used in the past. Craigslist, I believe, got rid of all of those sites and pages involving anything to do with personal ads or anything of that sort. But they're very similar sites out there now, so I've read. And um, Alyssa Lee writes... If you want to really know what happened, listen to the Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer podcast. I will do just that for a future episode. And our next one comes to us from Mary Bryan, who writes, After reading the stories of these women and their disappearances, I'm left with one thought based on where some of these victims were abducted or last seen. I suspect the killer is a resident of one of the nearby communities or neighborhoods. Aha, now she didn't say he's living in Gilgo. She said nearby communities in or neighborhoods and then um this one is from david neville who says not going 
to be someone who is close by, maybe an out-of-towner that goes there to fish, so that would explain the familiarity with the area. Plus, since they're sex workers, there's a chance that he or they are married. Cheaters usually cheat in other towns not to be recognized. That was the one I was talking about earlier, but I talked about the thing about using the guise of being a fisherman, and um, that's why he has so much familiarity with the area. I mean, I'm sure he's an actual fisherman. If, if that theory is true, that's a hypothetical. But um, points out here that many people will have an affair in a different town so that the um, spouse will not find out about it. But then this, I mean, this person would have most likely gotten married later on in life. And the fact of the matter is, Serial killers are sometimes married, sometimes unmarried. It really, there really isn't a consistency about that, because Yoshi writes, Don't be so certain. Look up David Russell Williams. His territory was very close to his previous home, and not all that far from his new home, and his victims were surprisingly close together. I'm not saying it's definitely someone close, but it's happened before. Absolutely, Yoshi, you get the comment of the day, because serial killers are not always pattern-based. They don't always follow a model. That's the whole point. Their activities are illegal. They don't follow the rules. They don't follow any type of playbook. And yeah, some serial killers operate close to their homes. Other people operate far away from their homes. Other people bury the bodies um very nearby, and others make a very, very strong effort to hide the bodies of the victims. And um, here's something also that has been mentioned in the comment session about what people are discussing, and that is that a belt was found that could possibly be featuring the letters M and W on it, and that is most likely not belonging to either um, either the victims or not even to Shannon Gilbert, who is an alleged victim. So if they think that um, the belt may actually belong to the killer, that could be some type of clue, but it really isn't even sure if there's anything that could actually tie somebody back to that, and um, apparently it seems that that has been made available for a while. But in terms of information that is readily available, someone else has pointed out, um, oh, I think it was the attorney for the Gilbert family, who says that the authorities should have released the transcript of her 911 call, which went on for 23 minutes, from the very beginning. Because if they don't believe that she's a genuine Long Island serial killer victim, why not release it? How could it impede the investigation? And their story is that she wasn't murdered. She was disoriented and she drowned in the marsh. They don't even suspect foul play in her death. Why not release the coal? What, what are they investigating? And the only way I could think in any possible way to justify their actions is maybe there's something on the call about people's houses and people's locations and they don't want to um, violate the privacy of anybody else, but we're... Um, other people think that that's absolute baloney and that she's talking about the uh, names of some high-profile individuals who are either very powerful or they're also the higher-ups of law enforcement. So um, there are a couple theories out there, but those are all speculative. So I would like to go, and this one is from Thomas Renfro, who says, Ten bodies at the same beach, some type of surveillance must have been installed. I mean, like he means, like, should be installed. Well, that would have solved the case a long time ago. But I almost can guarantee you that the killer, the person who discarded the bodies, as we said, there could be multiple perpetrators in both the uh, death of Shannon Gilbert as well as the uh, Lisk murders. 
they were probably completely aware of that, whoever they are. But that's why these locations are chosen, because they don't have surveillance cameras. I mean, we're getting more and more cameras these days, but I think that, let's just recap now. What are some theories that people have about the um, perpetrator in this case? They believe that it's someone who is a male, mid to late 20s to late 30s, thereabouts. He is somebody who has a very high understanding of crime scene awareness. Doesn't have to be a couple. I mean, we're talking forensic scientists. How about someone who is just very well-read on the subject? So, or someone who is very much um, has a high understanding of how the police are going to be investigating things. But um, that's something to... He's targeting sex workers because it's easy to get them into his vehicle. He can take them to a secluded location. He can then end their life. And he is making an extreme amount of effort to hide the bodies of the victims and destroy other markers such as perhaps things like a tattoo. I mean, uh, mutilating certain aspects of their bodies. Um, like Because he's choosing victims that say, four foot eleven, have green eyes. There's probably somebody who whom he believes has done something very bad to him in his life. Maybe it's an ex-female lover, or maybe it's his own mother. Definitely a lack of bonding with the parents. If anybody becomes a serial killer, most likely they have um, a horrible, horrible relationship with their parents. And it's not always about intense physical abuse. It can also just simply be the lack of bonding uh, James Fallon, uh, Dr. James Fallon, that is, he wrote the book, The um, Psychopath Inside, and he was behind the idea that there are three major components neurologically that would drive somebody to become a serial killer. The first is just that neurological functioning, like the way this person's brain is processing neurotransmitters. The second is genetic, like there's something in their genes that they've inherited from their parents. And the third and most vital component is child abuse. Almost all serial killers have experienced some form of child abuse. And if not, they had an intense amount of neglect or lack of bonding with their parents. But yeah, that book is called The Psychopath Inside, A Neuroscientist's Personal Journey into the Dark Side of the Brain by Dr. James H. Fallon. So I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for today. A lot of things we can discuss and explore. And also, you can give your feedback on this episode. Is there something you'd like to hear more about? I will definitely be doing an episode on the uh, death of Shannon Gilbert, but also talking about Netflix's um, Lost Girls, which was another thing that was recommended for me. But, um, I mean, if you want to hear more about the psychological profiling, or you want to hear more about um, the stories of the victims, or about the uh, crime scenes and how the... Um, serial killer operated you can give any type of feedback that you want this is just the first segment in this multi-part series on the long island serial killer and please look out wednesday for the release party for the book killer on a white horse by nid dahan that's me and i will see you guys over on instagram for the bonus podcast until next time